0: Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Big Sky Christian Fellowship. It's uh, wonderful to have you with us this afternoon. Every once in a while, uh, people find artifacts that are valuable in multiple ways. Every once in a while, people find something that's worth a lot because it's just so old. But it's also something that's really valuable because it can still be used. I want to kind of use this concept to bring us into our sermon text today. Let me give you a couple examples of things that are valuable because they're so old, but also valuable because they're still useful. In 1799, some French soldiers that were stationed in Egypt were uh, ripping apart a fort. They were ripping apart a stone wall. and They found this giant pillar that's now referred to as the Rosetta Stone. This was super valuable because it was over a thousand years old, but it also was covered in writing on all of its sides, and it had the same decree given by an ancient pharaoh, uh, the same decree given in several different languages. Uh, So this became super valuable to linguists because they now had a key. They had a key to understanding previously lost ancient languages that were now able to be read and deciphered. Valuable because it was old, but valuable because it was still very useful. Here's another example. In the documentary Genesis 2.0, filmmakers are examining the ethical and the moral ramifications of genetic scientists that are trying to bring back to life the extinct woolly mammoth. Do you guys know that there's scientists that are trying to bring back woolly mammoths as some real... Jurassic Park type stuff They've got this DNA, they're trying to bring them back to life And in this particular documentary a lot of the footage is spent following these Siberian tusk hunters who are going to these Arctic islands, digging in this kind of permafrost, digging in these thawed out bogs looking for woolly mammoth tusks which can actually be sold for up to a million dollars, so they're incredibly valuable to people that can still find them this is part of the documentary where the hunters remark that this marshy ground preserves these specimens of these woolly mammoths so well that sometimes they find mammoth parts that are still fresh enough for their families and their dogs to eat. And you guys thought the meat at country market was whole, right? <laughs> yes, they got us beat. All right. So, my favorite example is something that's, that's really valuable because it's old but it's still very useful. Uh, it comes from something that uh, I uncovered on some crazy YouTube deep dive. Uh, these are all real examples. Uh, and there's this artifact that's called the Neanderthal bone flute. It was found in 1995 in a cave in Slovenia, Europe. And it's made from the leg bone of a long extinct cave bear. So I know sometimes in churches and scientific communities, there's arguments about dating and how old things really are. I just know that it's old enough to be made from an extinct giant bear. Anyway, this this leg bone was made into a flute. And at first, the scientists just thought it was like a toy or an experiment because it was made by a caveman. And what did they really know about music? But when the Slovenian National Museum made an exact replica, just... Same, same size, same diameter, same insides because the original had some cracks and was missing a few chunks. And they played it. It actually held to the diatonic scale, which is the same musical scale that our instruments play to. Isn't that fascinating? Sometimes the Slovenian National Orchestra actually uses the replica flute during their performances because it still is so hauntingly beautiful when it's played. So I start, off, I start off our sermon with examples of things that are valuable because they're old, but still valuable because they're useful to introduce our new sermon series about Jesus. Because if we're honest, we do the same thing with Jesus. Sometimes we just think Jesus is valuable because he's really old, and, he, and he's got some really great teachings. But the Bible, in several places, including the text that we're going to look at from Scripture for the next couple of weeks, Tell us said, Jesus is very valuable to us as believers or spiritual seekers for the second utilitarian reason. Jesus is still actively doing things in our lives that enrich our lives and make our lives better. So, what I want to do today is uh, read for you and uh, draw out four things from our today's text, Romans eight thirty-one to thirty-seven, that remind us of what Jesus is actively doing in our lives, I think it will encourage you like it has encouraged me. So let me just start off by reading Romans 8, 31 to 39. And uh, as I read through it, maybe you can even start looking for the, the four encouragements that we're going to pull out of this today. Romans 8, 31 says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. What an encouraging passage. Let's talk about it in two quick parts. Let me start off by just giving a very, very quick context of uh, the first half of this chapter so we kind of understand the train of thought that today's verses are being advanced to us in. And then I just want to pull out four encouragements for us about what Jesus is doing for us day by day, even right now. All right, let's start really quick by reviewing... What's leading up to today's verses in the book of Romans, Uh, what we call the book of Romans was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Roman Christians around 50 or 52 AD. And it contains some of the most brilliant and significant theology in all of the Bible. There's really very, very little questions that you could have about God that aren't addressed in some way, shape, or form in the book of Romans not necessarily like bedtime reading. It's it's deep, and it's layered, uh, and it's it's, uh, very thought-provoking. So we're going to just look at uh, one little section from this letter written by Paul, um, even just a decade or two after Jesus resurrected and then returned to heaven. All right, so what's the flow of this chapter? Um, It starts off by Paul explaining to us that Jesus has come to offer us deliverance sin and death. And uh, if you have a chance to read Romans 8, verses 2 and 3, and in verse 11, it's kind of telling us that sin and death and all of its ramifications are not God's plan for us. Paul is telling us within this kind of train of thought that when we face sin and death, it's sort of an invasive species. Are you guys familiar with the concept of an invasive species? It's something that sort of dominates a habitat that was never originally intended to be there. Uh, I was flipping channels uh, a week or so ago and I came across this National Geographic show about how um, in the mid 1980s Pablo Escobar was this drug dealer in uh, Colombia and he had more money than he knew what to do with so he created this zoo on his mansion um, but then he got killed by um, the government Uh, And uh, the animals were just left to go wild. And now, if you go to Colombia, in this present day, there's over 160 hippopotamuses that are just swimming up and down the Colombian river systems. And um, what started off as four, yeah, are now over 160. And it was just kind of fascinating to see all the havoc that these large, violent animals are causing on a continent that they're not even native to. I think that provides a good illustration of how Paul is starting off this section of the letter. He's saying that that on a day-to-day basis, we deal with these destructive forces that we were never intended to interact with. When you have a loved one who's sick and dying, Paul's telling us that aging and death were never part of God's plan, they're invasive species. When somebody has hurt you to the point that you just can't move past that relational fracture, that's an invasive species. That's not something that we were supposed to have to deal with. But it tells us in the book of Genesis that um, when things were as God intended them to be, Adam and Eve, they're kind of like the scapegoat. They, they they, they, They brought sin and death into the world through their disobedience. And it's easy for us to point our fingers at them, but it's also kind of reminding us that our disobedience to God, our sin, our self-defeating behavior brings these invasive species into our lives and relationships as well. So that's kind of how Paul starts this off. He moves on and he says, but but somebody's come to kind of restore things. And uh, in Romans 8, 12 to 17, is telling us that God's presence is with us today. It's called the Holy Spirit. We kind of have this new influence that's helping us navigate past the destruction of those invasive species and kind of rebuild things in the way that God intended. And that National Geographic show that I was telling you about, there's like these Colombian veterinarians that had to go to Africa to learn how to deal with hippos, and then they did these like sterilization surgeries, which... It's probably not something they ever intended that they would have to do when they went to veterinary school. Uh, But nevertheless, they've kind of got things back to how they were supposed to be. You've still got these rogue hippos, but they're sterile. They can't reproduce. They've taught the locals, the local fishermen, how to like not have your canoe tipped over by these angry hippos. And uh, these agents have kind of put things back to how they were supposed to be. Paul's telling us here in verses 12 to 17 that God's presence is with us, helping us navigate these invasive species of sin and death that we were never intended to have to deal with. And um, how beautiful that uh, there's kind of this analogy that this section ends with. Let me read to you verse 21: says this. Um, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will eventually be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That's saying something really cool. What it's saying is whether you love people or whether you love nature. This is saying something really beautiful. It's saying the Columbia River system was decimated by invasive species. Maybe your favorite place to hunt was wrecked by pollution. Maybe somewhere that you used to love to go is now too crowded and you don't enjoy it anymore. Paul's making this analogy to say the created world as we know it gets polluted and corrupted uh, and that's disappointing and it's heartbreaking but one day God will come back and restore creation as it was always meant to be and that's something that we can put hope into that's something that can bring us joy that one day the pollution will be gone and things will be back to their original beauty but don't lose sight of how Paul is masterfully using that analogy because he's saying like that's also the answer to the hope that we need in the suffering that we experience. In the same way that a beautiful place can get ruined, like you think of the the oil spill in Alaska back in the the late 1980s, that beautiful place, the, the bay was covered in oil, but it's sort of back to how it was always meant to be. Paul's saying the same is true with us. We will experience the loss of loved ones. One day we'll look in the mirror and not recognize who we're looking at, like we all age, we all experience the after effects of sin and death and disobedience, but God is going to make those things right as well. So we're kind of in that in-between, we're kind of in that struggle, where there is pollution and there is corruption, but God is promising us that he is going to restore all things in a way that we can look forward to. That's true with nature, that's true with us as well in our physical bodies. So that's just kind of the context that we find today's verses in. Now we get to Romans 8, 31 to 37. And as we struggle with this kind of balance of the, the things that we wouldn't choose, the sin, the death, the deterioration of uh, people that hurt us, things that don't go our way. As we're dealing with that, Jesus is providing a hope and an encouragement for us until we get to that day when all things are beautiful and pure again. Jesus is a help in at least four ways as we kind of deal uh, with that uh, restoration going on around us. Let's close today with, with four encouraging things that Jesus is doing for us, even right now. first one is this. You see in verses 31 and 32, and it's basically this reminder that Jesus is the... Jesus is kind of the proof that God is all in for you. When February comes around and you're just kind of going through the routine, like we've all kind of heard the expression, Groundhog's Day, like are we just going to go on with another couple of weeks of the exact same thing? Sometimes this kind of malaise comes in and we're like, man, is, is it perfect for anything? Is God really for me? And uh, Romans 8, 31 and 32 is a beautiful reminder that not only is God for us, but he is entirely for us. Listen to to that read again. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, he can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all thanks? You guys uh, might be familiar with um, the company FedEx, Federal Express. It's like the largest logistics moving company in the world. Uh, The owner um, is worth over $6 billion because of this incredible transportation company that he created. Um, But some people might not have heard the story that back in the late 70s, FedEx was about to go bankrupt, and the owner, Fred Smith, looked in the books and saw that his company was down to its last $5,000. And on Monday, a $24,000 fuel bill was due. It was Friday, and all they had in their company accounts was $5,000. And on Monday, they had to pay a bill for $24,000 for fuel. The company, his dream, was about to collapse. So he did what any reasonable person would do, he took that $5,000 to Las Vegas. And he played blackjack, and against all odds, I'm not saying you should go do this, by the way. <laughs> against all odds, he worked that $5,000 at the blackjack tables, up to $27,000, got back to Memphis uh, on Monday, paid that bill. Uh, the company continued to grow to this day. Uh, everybody knows about bad acts. We've probably all worked for a boss from time to time, that we just didn't know how invested they were in the company. Maybe you've even worked for some sort of organization that just divested its interest and and sold and moved on somewhere else. Or maybe you just don't have a boss that seems to care as much as you do. Uh, Maybe this is true in some sort of relationship as well. But we've all had that feeling that we just care more than that other party. But what this verse is beautifully telling us is that Jesus Christ is our reminder God is all in. He is using all his resources to uphold the covenant that he's made with you. God is all in for you to grow and thrive. And uh, Romans 8.31 to 32 is a beautiful reminder to us that God is all in for us. The sacrifice and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that reminder that we need that God held nothing back, right? He didn't I guess that's where the analogy starts to break down. Like, he didn't get desperate. He didn't need to bet his last $5,000. That's where the analogy doesn't make any sense. But that fact that Jesus came down, died, took our place in judgment, is a beautiful illustration that God held nothing back for you to be restored and adopted and thriving in his family. Let's talk about just for a second what that means. You might be going through a crisis right now, and it might be the second time that you've gone through that exact crisis. You might be feeling seasonal depression right now, and you're feeling guilty because it's the fourth season in a row you've had depression. Maybe you're going to a marriage counselor for the third time. Sometimes it just feels like God is going to get tired of us. It seems like God doesn't have any more resources to deal with our ongoing problems. Romans 8, 31 and 32 is telling us explicitly that Jesus Christ is proof that God will hold nothing back for you to thrive in him as he intends. Alright, the second encouragement we can take from these verses of what Jesus is doing for us comes in verse 34. It's telling us that even now, Jesus is actively interceding on your behalf. Jesus is actively doing things for you right now. Listen to what it says here. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, even more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, this concept of condemning is really interesting. To condemn means that something is useless, it's dangerous. There's no value in bringing it back. If a building is condemned, it's just easier to knock it down and start from scratch. And to work around it and restore it. Maybe there's areas of your life, bitterness, some grudge, some secret sin, great apathy, where you're just thinking to yourself, I hope that God does not become aware of this issue, because he would condemn me. If God really knew about this thing that I've been struggling with for so long, he, he would just take out the yellow tape and condemn me, because there's no way... But it's fixable, there's no way that it can be restored. But Romans 8.34 is telling us that not only does Jesus not condemn us, he is actively working to, to structurally repair that thing in the way that it needs to be repaired. You guys have heard the story of the Citigroup skyscraper? It goes like this. Uh, it was, there's a skyscraper in New York, it's in Manhattan, it's actually quite large. It was completed in the summer of 1977. And what made this particular skyscraper unusual was that there was this, um, there was this land to build on, but there was this old, beautiful, 200-year-old church uh, that they didn't want to knock down. So they built a skyscraper over this uh, pre-existing historical building, but because of that, they couldn't put the, uh, the, the, the skeleton structure on the corner of the skyscrapers like they traditionally do with steelwork. So the, the strength of the building actually comes up through the center in kind of this like overlay crisscross structure. and uh, everybody was just remarked uh, how, how innovative the architecture was. And then one day, about uh, a year later, the architect got a phone call uh, from a female architectural student from New Jersey that started asking some questions about the structure of the design. She actually pointed out that with some studies that she had done, a crosswind of a certain miles per hour would topple this skyscraper, which was actually the seventh tallest building in the world at that time. The architect laughed. What what would some architecture student know about these problems that my design solved? He hung up the phone on her, only to go back a couple days later and look at the data. He was horrified to find out that the accusation was true and that every 15 to 16 years, enough wind came through Manhattan that if it would've hit this building at the right angle, would've toppled it over. So they went to Blue Cross and all the emergency um, organizations and they came up with this plan um, because the thought was, in the fall, hurricane season coming to New York, absolutely had the realistic possibility of knocking this building over, which would have started toppling dominoes, uh, and uh, it was determined that up to a 16-block radius was in danger of what would happen if this building was knocked over. The cool part of the story was the architect took the string to go on a personal retreat and solve the structural problem he eventually worked it out and this is the cool part of the story uh, every single night as the workers would come out of the building uh, people disguise, workers in disguise would come into the building and reinforce the steel in the building for months and months until it was actually determined to, um, to be strong enough to withstand the winds that did actually come that fall. Well. I want you to think about that architect when the building was determined to be unworthy When the building was determined to be structurally unsound, he didn't wash his hands. He didn't go collect the insurance money. He figured out how to make that building strong enough to do what it needed to do. Romans 8.34 is telling us that when Jesus sees our structural flaws, when Jesus sees the things that we would be disgusted if anybody else could see, he's not condemning us. But more than that, he's going to work. He's actively interceding like that architect to solve the problem, fix our structural flaws uh, so that we can be as God always intended us to be. Jesus is actively interceding on our behalf. He's not condemning us. He's restoring us in the way that we need to be restored according to Romans 8.34. That's something I hope you can give thanks to God to tonight. God's not condemning us for our flaws. He's actively interceding to fix them through the circumstances and the people around us. All right, encouragement number three. tells us in Romans 8.35 that Jesus is actively over, he's helping us overcome the things that he has overcome. Jesus has overcome the very things that plague and discourage us. Listen to how it's said here in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is telling us that Jesus offers us guidance because there is nothing that we will face that he himself has not experienced and overcome. There's nothing that pains or discourages you that Jesus Christ hasn't overcome. I just want everyone to take a second and think about that statement. And I'm, please don't hear me minim, minimizing your pain or discouragement, because I'm not saying that you don't have any, and I'm not saying that your pain and discouragement isn't legitimate. I'm saying there's nothing that brings you pain or discouragement that Jesus Christ hasn't also experienced and overcome. Let me bring that home with an illustration. Probably the greatest boxer of the last 20 years is a guy named Floyd Mayweather. He won a bronze medal in the Olympics. He held 15 different title belts. He was named Fighter of the Decade of the 2010s. ESPN said that he was pound for pound the greatest boxer of all time. That's their opinion, but that's a pretty reputable source. A lot of boxing historians say that he was not only the best defensive boxer of all time, but he was also the most accurate puncher. His career earnings are over $285 million just for punching So what's his secret? What made Floyd Mayweather such a successful boxer? The answer is his uncle. The answer is Roger Mayweather. Because his trainer was his uncle, who was also an 18-year professional boxer who also held several titles in several weight classes. He boxed for 18 years, and his professional record was 59 and 13. In other words, Floyd Mayweather was an incredible boxer because he had a trainer in his corner that had experienced anything that he could ever experience. There was no situation in the ring or out of the ring that Floyd was going to face his uncle had already faced, willing to pass on all that knowledge, all that experience of 18 years of co-fighting onto his nephew, who he also trained. I know that probably not a lot of churchgoers are also fans of boxing, right? But just think about the illustration. There is someone in your corner who has experienced everything that you are gonna experience. Jesus knows what it's like to cry over the death of a loved one. Jesus knows what it's like to be unfairly labeled a failure. Jesus knew loneliness. Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus had family members who rejected him. And the list goes on and on. There's nothing that we will face that Jesus hasn't experienced and overcome. He is in a corner. He is willing to pass on everything that he has learned so that we can overcome the same things that he has overcome. All right, encouragement number four, and then we'll wrap up. The fourth encouragement from this section of something that Jesus is still doing for us comes in verses 37, 38, and 39. It tells us that Jesus Christ represents a conduit to God's love that can never be cut off. Let me read these final verses here. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present or the future, or any powers, or height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Jesus Christ is not only proof of God's love for us, but it's like the vessel which we receive God's love through. Have you guys ever heard about the Alaskan Pipeline? It was built in the mid-70s, which they had a lot less engineering and construction advances that we have today. It was privately funded. It's over 800 miles long, north to south. I think that's even wider than Montana is east to west. This pipeline traverses over three mountain ranges, three earthquake zones, over 100 rivers, 50% 50% of it is underground, 50% of it is above ground. They had to construct over 13 bridges, and the engineering advancements just go on and on. And that's how we get a percentage of our oil, even though the, the delivery system is sort of a method that at one time people wouldn't even believe possible. That's a conduit for us to get energy and uh, sort of a dramatic illustration. Romans 8.37 to 39 is telling us that Jesus is the ultimate pipeline or the ultimate conduit of God's love for us. It overcomes things that we would consider unovercomable, our self-defeating behavior, our sin. Nevertheless, billions of people are experiencing God's love through Jesus Christ as told to us here in Romans 8.37, 38, and 39. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and our and as they do, I just want to kind of bring in front of us one more time. As followers of Jesus, there's incredible wisdom through the things that He said, through the things that He's done, through the miracles that he's performed. But this passage in Romans is telling us that there's also great value in what Jesus is doing for you and for me today. Jesus is the ultimate example that God is entirely for you and he is holding nothing back in that relationship.
1: It tells us that
0: Jesus, even now, is actively interceding in our behalf. Romans 12, 1-2, God is working through all good things. He's working through all things for good and Jesus is an active part of that process. He is willing to, to coach us and be with us in the very things that he's overcome and he's just this Unending conduit of God's love that can't be severed and can't be cut off. I appreciate your attention and I appreciate you coming this afternoon. I hope that you're encouraged that Jesus is just not a legacy for us to be proud of, but Jesus is a verb. Jesus is an action. Jesus is actively doing things for us and with us even now. And let's think about that as we wrap up.